I'm Jess Fisher, and this is the best paper I ever wrote. Hello, Amanda. Hello. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing great. <laughs> um, today's date is November 15th, 2020. Uh, this is the first episode I'm recording um, post election results um <laughs> which is kooky the last one i recorded it was like as much as we wanted it to not be it was very much like what's gonna happen <laughs> so this time we could be like okay let's talk about literature <laughs> so how do we know each other amanda we know each other we've probably known each other 10 years by now which is an interesting thing to think about um we've known each other since the oh, seventh yeah. grade um i think our brothers were on the same basketball team though earlier oh, but we didn't know each other okay a little like prologue to us being friends <laughs> right because i remember seeing your family and being like oh i don't know <laughs> but we weren't friends until like seventh grade i want to say language arts yeah class. one of those and then i feel like we hit our like we hit our stride in, in high school of being friends so we've been friends for about we've known each other for about 10 years um that's weird. Yeah. Oh, Amanda, we've been friends for 10 years. Yeah, it's a, <laughs> it's a big number, certainly. Um, oh, yeah. So where did you grow up and where do you live now? So I grew up and have lived the majority of my life in uh, picturesque Middletown, New Jersey. Um, oh, yeah. And I am currently living in Hoboken, New Jersey, where I went to school for the past five years. So... Hoboken is so nice. I love it. So where did yeah. you go to school and what did you study at school? So I went to Stevens Institute here in Hoboken, um, studying chemical engineering, which was um, about as fun as it sounds. But like you said, Hoboken is fun. So that <laughs> uh, definitely made it more fun. Um, and did you get, you got your bachelor's degree and did you get um, any, any other certification? I got like a certificate thing and... Um, why did I get it in? In re regulatory and quality and manufacturing, which is kind of what I do now. But yeah, engineering, STEM sort so of stuff. So you're currently working in a lab and stuff? No. So I'm in, in the world of COVID. I'm, my job doesn't require me to go in at all. I'm, I'm basically the guy who oh. like, <laughs> when you look at a bottle of like, um, glass cleaner and it says like net weight, 18 <laughs> ounces, like I make sure that that <laughs> font is the right size. <laughs> really? Um, yeah. I mean, I do other, I, that's how I like to explain it to be funny, I guess. <laughs> I do other, I do stuff other than that, but from like a regulatory perspective, that's like one of the big things, uh, yeah. that I do. Do you have like a, like a dream of, of a, like, or a goal or are you like very satisfied with like regulating font sizes? <laughs> and that's totally, that sounded really, really like no, judgy. I, and I didn't mean it to be. <laughs> I don't currently, you know, have a, a distinguished goal or plan for myself. Um, I'm very, I'm very. <laughs> What's your plan? I'm very much the type of person <laughs> who like, as long as I can tolerate work, um, I'm fine with doing it. Like I don't, I'm not really someone who I'm like, I want my work to be like, this is my dream job. I do not dream of, sure. I do not dream of labor. Um <laughs> so so ah yes <laughs> yeah not to get into it before we start but I don't dream of labor um so I like my job but I'd, I'll probably regulate forever but I don't really it's fine 
That's funny. I didn't even like mean to 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 lead you into I do not dream of labor, but there yeah. we are. Um so what was the title of the essay that you chose? Okay, so I think it was not a good title, but it was fr- it was Frankenstein <laughs> through a Marxist lens, and I've always been someone, I don't know about you, but I have always been someone who like I'd never come up with fun names for papers, and I don't know if that's again because like I've lived in like a stem sort of world for a while so i wasn't allowed to be like i don't know to have fun (laughs) yeah i wasn't allowed to be fun (laughs) legally Um, i mean you're right um i feel like you strike me as someone who had more fun naming your papers than i did (laughs) can you confirm i I will say yes that yeah can confirm that like half of the fun for me was coming up with like a cool name but like i have now i have like this 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 problem where all of my titles are just way too long because I like making puns. Like there's, um, I wrote a paper about like a woman who does immersive theater in a bathtub, um, Shivana Laughlin. And I, I called it rub-a-dub-dub site specific immersive theater in a tub. And it's like, that was my final paper of NYU. That's great though. (laughs) That's, that's fun. I think if I could have, I was thinking about it when I was sending you this paper. Um, if I could have named it something different, there's a lot of like just to dive into it I guess there's a lot of uh like kind of gothic references in a lot of like Marx's Mm. work which is like super cool like he has a lot of references to um capitalism being like cannibalistic so I feel like if I could like go back in time I would find one of those quotes and make it like cannibal capital Marxism through it even though the monster was not a cannibal no, but, but that's okay. It's that's close. Still interesting. It's close enough. It's yeah. more fun than Frankenstein through a Marxist lens. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, how did you choose specifically Marxist lens for Frankenstein? Because I, for some reason, I vividly remember our teacher. So were we in, I think we were in the same class. I feel like we were in, maybe we were in different We were in classes. different classes, but we have the same teacher. Yeah, but it was so it was like the same quote unquote because it was it was was AP literature. Yep. Yeah, and I I think I remember our teacher saying like you could do it through this lens, you could do it do it through this lens, you could do it through a Marxist lens, but that would be a bit hard. I remember him saying that, and I remember when you were like, "I'm doing it through a Marxist lens." I was like, "I don't know what that (laughs) means," but he said not to. (laughs) Well, I wonder if maybe I had like class with him before you and I said like, I'm doing a Marxist lens. And then in your class later with him, he was like, don't do this crap that she's going to do. But yeah, how I came up with that, I myself have been trying to figure out when I became like (laughs) Marxist oriented in high school because it wasn't, it was before that. Like I was already like, I'm into Marxism. I want to write this about like, that wasn't like new to me. Mm-hmm. I know that junior year of high school, and I was trying to find this paper for you for AP Econ. I wrote, I wrote a paper about like Monopoly, the game being like an example of like class warfare or something. <laughs> um, I think I wrote that one like on the spot in class, so that's why I couldn't find it. So at least as early as like junior year of high school, I was already like, we need to eliminate class society. But so I think that when I picked it for for that for this this paper I was just like there's no other thing I could have picked um it has to be about this so I'm gonna I'm gonna read quickly the schmoop summary of Frankenstein so that anybody listening to this could be like ah yes I know what you mean by this that and the other 
Victor shows up half frozen and dying on Walton's ship and tells a frankly insane story starting with his birth. Um, he was born in Geneva to parents Alphonse and Caroline Frankenstein and lived with his adopted sister slash future wife, creepy. Obsessed with alchemy, he gets some unsettling ideas about science and nature which blossom into a full-blown obsession with conquering death when his mother dies of scarlet fever only a few weeks before he leaves for college. Victor attends the University of Ingolstadt, where he's a star pupil of chemistry and natural philosophy, but academic glory isn't enough. He takes his studies further, figuring out how to create the spark of life in a collection of corpse parts, which, surprise, turns out to be less awesome in, less awesome in practice than in theory. He turns away from the monster he's created and is sick for months while his friend Henry Clerval takes care of him. He tries to put the whole thing behind him, but the monster has other plans. Victor heads home when he learns that his brother William has been murdered. Victor sees the monster in the woods on his way home when he is locked out of the gates of Geneva for a night. He realizes the monster killed William. It sounds crazy, so he doesn't tell anyone, even when the Frankenstein family servant, Justine Moritz, is wrongly accused for the crime. Full of remorse, Victor heads off into the mountains, where he runs into the monster, who makes him listen to a long sob story about how mommy, we mean Victor, that's funny, has ruined his life. Victor reluctantly agrees to make the monster a female companion. Once he actually creates the she-monster, though, he has other ideas. He destroys it, dumps the body in the lake, and is promptly accused of murder when he gets to shore. He gets sick again. This time he's sick in jail. Fun. <laughs> when he recovers and is cleared of charges, he heads back to Geneva to marry Elizabeth, but not without wondering what it meant when the monster vowed to be with him on his wedding night. For a genius, he's pretty dim. On their wedding night, Victor is all ready to go Rambo on the monster, but the monster kills Elizabeth instead of him. Frankenstein Sr. dies of grief, and Frankenstein Jr. swears to pursue the monster all over the world, which he does, all the way to the Atlantic Ocean. Near death, he boards Captain Walton's ship. While resting, he tells Walton his story. He urges the ship not to give up if it ever gets unstuck from the ice, which, considering how well, relent how well relentless pursuit worked out for him, is probably bad advice. He dies. Really quick, I wanted to just give a quick summary of why it might be called... Um, it, it, the, the subtitle is... The modern Prometheus, I believe. Frankenstein, the mm. something Prometheus. Yeah. Uh, because Prometheus dares to give humans. Prometheus is a Greek god who dares to give humans what um, had only belonged to the gods before, which is the sacred fire. In this, he's giving technology to mankind, which a lot of people compare to Victor trying to give humankind immortality. And um, Prometheus is punished by having, I think it's like a crow, pick out his eyes over and over again yeah maybe i'm wrong or his liver or something oh i think it's his liver <laughs> yeah and uh whereas victor is like you know like everybody he loves dies and like he's like meant tortured with guilt and everything forever okay so that's frankenstein great because like i when i was reading your paper and reading my paper i was like oh gosh i need to reread frankenstein because like i'm like oh yeah guy creates monster i forgot about frankenstein's bride I forgot yeah. about a lot of the murders. I forgot about Antarctica. <laughs> yeah, I Frankenstein is one of those things that like exists in my cultural memory as like basically just what I thought it was as a child of like oh no, mon monster bad and scary and Right, green but, guy. I forgot that he like talks and is well read yeah, and is like I, articulate. I love that that he was just like smart and everyone was like we hate you. <laughs> Right. He's just, like, very large. <laughs> and society does not like that. <laughs> they do not like the large man. <laughs> um, okay, so, it made me think about, so, like, 
uh, Amanda gave me a couple different papers that she wrote about Marxism. Um, the first one being the one from from high school, but the other ones were in college. And this one seems to be the only paper uh, with like the focus of Marxism that is on a metaphorical sense. So when you talk about Marxism in your other papers, you're literally talking about the worker. You're literally talking about the worker and the product, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas in this, it's like much more metaphorical. Do you do you think that is this like the only paper that you've written about Marxism in that sort of metaphorical way? Yeah, I'm I'm thinking back to it. I don't know if I have a lot of other papers like this one where I was like sort of what the prompt was like applying a Marxist lens to like literature or like some mm-hmm. sort of situation that already exists. Um, this is, I might have done it a little bit more in like one of my freshman classes, but yeah, this is really, again, in in college, I didn't have too many instances to like read something and then like interpret it. That's just not how my classes went, sadly. Mm. Um, so this is like my prime example of, of getting to do that sort of like literary critique, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll I'll just like dive into your paper. Does it sound good? Yep. (laughs) Sounds good. In both of our papers, I noticed that, like, there was a strong emphasis on Mary Shelley's upbringing and how it almost felt like we were trying to prove that the book was intentionally written in the way that it was. Like, mine was like, it's a feminist novel, and yours was like, it's a Marxist novel, Mm -hmm. Um, which I would argue is, like, not how I was taught in later times. Like, it almost feels like, yeah, like, I'm I'm at a a mock trial, and I'm trying to prove something instead of just theorizing. Yeah. So... What was, what about, do you remember what about Mary's upbringing um, led her to, like, in theory, be a Marxist? Um, well, just commenting on what you just said, it's it's funny reading my own work and trying to, like, fit, seeing how I tried to fit Frankenstein, like, as a work, like, into the, my own box of what I thought Marxism was. Um, oh, you think is, you didn't understand it as well? Well, I, I mean, I certainly don't. I, I mean, I'm not going to pretend that I'm uh, like a leftist scholar over here, but I've, <laughs> I, I'm a lot more um, well-read and, and well-versed than I was in high school. And it's just funny, like like you said, just trying to, to prove my point with her upbringing. I think that I said um, I found like a couple of her quotes um, or her um, her background somehow connected to the working class, although I thought her parents were like more aristocratic i'm pretty sure her parents but like you can literally argue anything that's my favorite <laughs> thing that i learned about writing papers that you could ar- argue anything like you have um you argue that when frankenstein is like making the monster it's like a monotonous task yeah it was i had worked hard for nearly two years for the sole purpose of infusing life into an animate body for this i've deprived myself of rest and health right mm-hmm. so you were you were saying that as as an example of of like of ca- capitalism like so what what was that as an ex- I think I, that I can't was... put your words <laughs> no, that, that's okay I think that that was supposed to be an example of like the monotony of work tying to the Marxist theory of like alienation um which is like kind of like when you're doing so tasks have become more specialized under capitalism like you picture an assembly line like you're just the guy like tightening the bolts or whatever um right so the so in the sense that the work is like monotonous, he's like alienated from it. I think that was the the stretch take yeah. I was trying to make. That makes um. sense. It's it's just funny <laughs> that that you use that in in to to prove that. Okay, right. great words, Jess. Uh-huh. Where I'm like I start talking about the uh, Frankenstein's relationship to the monster was borderline sexual, um, like oh. a homosexual attraction to the monster because 
like when he was making the monster, my voice became broken, my trembling hands almost refused to accomplish their task. I became as timid as a lovesick girl, an alternate ter- tremor and passionate ardor took the place of wholesome sensation and regulative ambition. Which, like, it's just so funny that, like, you pulled a quote about, like, his work of making the monster being monotonous, and, like, mine was, like, a sexual act. But it's yeah. like, yeah, you can prove anything. Like- <laughs> Honestly, hear- hearing the quote that you just provided, I-, I would probably side more with you and and, like, adapt my entire thesis to be that, like, just based on that quote alone, it doesn't really feel like a capitalist mode of production. It feels like he's actually like putting his his himself into something, which is like completely opposite and proves that I guess I don't know how to read when I was in no. <laughs> when I was a senior in high school. For me, I think when I was working on this paper, I was like, wow, I have I don't have to have any original ideas about anything because all of these things were not my ideas. I just like read books about feminist theory and Frankenstein. And just kind oh, of like so you, threw you, them into my paper. So you had sources that were already saying like Frankenstein is like has a, a root in feminism. Oh yeah, there's like because a ton I, of books. So I remember that. I don't remember a lot, I don't remember a lot about writing this paper, but I do remember trying to find like examples of that. Um, and like you alluded to, our our teacher said it would be hard to write it through this lens because I couldn't find I basically couldn't find anyone else's work that was saying like oh, yes no. these are these are the same. But I mean I guess I I guess it's I'm impressed with myself that I was able to like draw my like take a piece of like Das Kapital and like connect it to an actual thing I read in Frankenstein. Like I'll give yeah, myself that's... I'll give myself props there, even though I do think a lot of this paper was a stretch. <laughs> Actually, honestly, I was reading it and I was like, yeah, like, I feel that. Like, so, um, yeah, I, when, when, like, you said that Mary felt herself like a cog in the capitalist machine, because um, when, when she was writing about writing about Frankenstein, she said, at this time, he desired that I should write, not so much with the idea that I could produce anything worthy of notice, but that he might himself judge how far I possess the promise of better things hereafter. Which definitely sounds like what you're saying, like sounds like her value is being placed, like her value is being constituted by the product that she's putting out. Yeah, I think I, sh- I could have, knowing what I know now, that's like a like labor theory <laughs> of value kind of reference that sure. that I would have, si- since since reading this, pa- or writing this paper, excuse me, um, I have read um, Das Kapital Volume 1, which was um, a birthday gift uh, from my boyfriend. <laughs> um, I laugh at that, but it was it's an amazing gift. I highlighted it. I loved reading it. So. Oh, that's so <laughs> sweet. It was, it's very sweet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I'm I'm again a lot more like I do a lot like in my leisure time of like reading like straight up like Frederick Engels. Um again, wow. I, I I won't pretend to be a scholar. Um but maybe I should rewrite this paper. <laughs> I think that'd be fun. Okay, wait. Um I this this is awful. I'm so sorry, Jordan, but um and Amanda, but my computer's at 13%, so I'm going to um I think it would be easier for Jordan if we just keep recording. Um, and then, like, could I have, like, three minutes to grab my charger, find an outlet, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah. Cool. Pause. I'll sit here. <laughs> Great. You don't have to hold it up to your face like that, like, while we're, while I'm doing other stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Where were we? Okay. So, um, what else did you find while you were reading your paper that, like, didn't seem, or, like, that you wish you could rewrite? God, um, (laughs) 
knowing think, more about um theory now. yeah i i think what i what i hate that i did is that i made oh, no. i i i had two interpretations that i should have just picked one and and fleshed it out better um because i said from one point of view you could argue that um Frankenstein is the the working class is the proletariat and the monster is like the product of his labor um and then I think like halfway through I was like but also he could be uh, Frankenstein could be the bourgeoisie and now the monster is the proletariat and I think that was the weaker observation and maybe I was just running out of material for the first one (laughs) <laughs> but I think I would have just fleshed out the the my first example more because he is literally the product, the product of his labor. Um, right. I, I don't really see whatever my my example of, of Frankenstein being bourgeoisie. I think it was based entirely on him just like telling the monster what to do or something, which is not right. <laughs> not really well, a strong opinion. Then again, though, like, I, I understand what you meant when you were like, um, as the exploited worker is disappointed when he learns that his accomplishments will not lead to acceptance and respect in the bourgeoisie. The monster curses Frankenstein after the, the Lacey's react in horror to his appearance. That made sense that it was like Frankenstein. Well, the monster, I mean, um, was like very intelligent and like very well read and like was like trying to show that to mm-hmm. his maker and his maker was just like. I don't give a shit, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, I, I so reject that, you. Right. Yeah, that actually, I, I think that aligns. I think it makes sense. It just wasn't... I think that that really... Th- that's one of the points where I showed, like, this is a paper written by someone in high school, you know? Like... Right. That's it fair. Just, it just wasn't very... I think I was grasping a little bit there. So I think that if, again, if I rewrote it, which, you know, maybe I'll do that <laughs> if I'm bored... Um, I would have just stuck with Frankenstein is the alienated proletariat class and he is like alienated for, I think that's the stronger stance. He's alienated from himself, which I feel like there are a lot of references of him being like, just having a terrible time throughout the book. Um, (laughs) him being alienated from the product and him being alienated from everyone else. I feel like that was my stronger, my stronger stance. What do you mean by by alienated as is as that is that a specifically like a, a like a in, in terms of marxism what do you mean by alienation i'm not yeah. familiar yeah so that's a specific um i guess like theory of marx's about how within like as a result of class society um people are just generally like i guess estranged from themselves and from there's there's a lot of versions of it estranged from yourself estranged from like other workers and other people in society and estranged from what you create um so it's like your loss of the ability to conceive of yourself as like the the director of your own actions um if that Mm. makes sense alienation yeah yeah so so because i guess when it comes to the self like because you are sort of a cog in the machine worker person and all of your your work is sort of dictated to you there's a lot less like creativity and freedom in 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 what we conceive of as work like today you're following instructions essentially Mm -hmm. um and then being alienated from the product is like marx's comment on the idea that like 
you're the guy in the factory making chairs or whatever and you can barely afford a chair like you don't you don't get the chair you know oh um, okay i'm so, understanding what you're so saying. you don't have the act that your access to what you're creating is, is controlled by someone else basically and so that so that was actually going to be my next question that in like in marx's um theory of this is is this intentional is is the alienation intentionally put on the people for for the purpose of like either putting them down or continuing the way things are? I mean, I think, I'm not sure exactly how he theorized of it, but I, th- I think it's more of a, a symptom or like a side effect of like capitalism. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that there are certainly, especially in like modern times, ways that like we try to alleviate this where like, um, I guess a great example is that mid uh, pandemic, my work sent me a box of like our products. Um, we make like cleaning supplies and stuff um, oh. for free, like a fun little like you're in the middle of a pandemic. Like here's so I think that in like modern society, like corporations try to like do little nice things to pat you on the back and be like, see, you're you're a part of this. <laughs> um, well, as as like 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 a. Like you're not, you're, you're part of it, but you're like, you're not. We're, right. we're trying to appease you so that you don't question that you're not part of this. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I would say that's the, the alienation from, from the product thing that I'm explaining was my, should have been like my main thesis, I think. Cause I think that that is what happened to Frankenstein. Right. That Who makes I, sense to me that like the product wasn't his, like he made this thing and then it was like had its own life is that mm-hmm. what is that what you were trying to get at that's what I would be trying to get at now I guess um <laughs> just one 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 line that I that I hate from this paper again even though I gave this to you as one of my favorite <laughs> one of my favorite papers one line that I hate that also uh displays that I wrote this in high school is Shelley set up her allegorical references to capitalistic relationships through more than one pairing of characters, seamlessly creating a narrative that did not make too noticeable of a social statement. I just made that up. <laughs> like, that's... <laughs> like, yeah, Mary, Mary Shelley was like, ooh, let me not make too much of a statement on capitalism. Like, I just made that up. <laughs> yeah. She did that. Well, it's just, I think that that also just shows like young writing as well. I remember that, um, that our teacher, um, who honestly, like, I'll just like gas him up for a second. I'm not going to like name him, but I will send him this after. Um, cause I think he'd get a kick out of it that, um, he was like the best essay writing teacher I've ever had easily. And he like, didn't take, he wasn't like easy on any of us. And he was very blunt. And I think that like, that made a lot of amazing, like essay yeah. writers, like, he was just, he was just a fantastic teacher. Okay. But he put my paper under the little, you know, the, uh, under, under whatever, the, under the microscope, <laughs> under the microscope and in front of the class. And he was like, okay, so you wrote that you were theorizing that Frankenstein is a feminist book. And I was like, yes. And he was like, but that's a way different paper than arguing, like then viewing Frankenstein with a feminist lens. And I'm like, oh i didn't know that like i didn't get i thought it was like literally like i am like i'm a lawyer and i'm arguing that mary shelley sat down and wrote a paper intending 
for this to be about like why yeah. men suck you know like i i thought that that's what writing and i think that was. that's what i did and too so, like, i think the way i was right that's what i'm thinking i think i maybe a lot of our like experience prior to that was we were just like we did a lot of like argumentative writing maybe is that something we did in high school right instead of just like theorizing yeah. i guess you're like, allowed to look at things because, through a lens without them being without that that being the way they are you know maybe we didn't realize that <laughs> Right. I, and I, I agree with you that I felt, I felt the need to prove everything. So like what you were saying is like, we, we can just make a statement like Mary Shelley wrote this book and seamlessly tied it together. Um, but I, I actually did find a quote that what you were talking about, what I, what I like, um, that Frankenstein places no value in the final product, referring to the monster as a demonical corpse and a wretch. Even though the monster is, amongst other things, both well-read and hardly articulate, society's evaluation of him is all that matters. Like in a capitalist society, it is the output that matters, not the input. That made a ton of sense to me. I was like, wow, totally, Amanda. Like, <laughs> Yeah, that was a good that was a good one, especially because that was, I should have expounded upon that, but that was, you know, a reference to the labor theory of value in Marxism as opposed to like, which is basically like, the amount of labor you put in is the true value of the object you've created as opposed to currently, I guess we operate under like an exchange value, whatever they'll take in the market is, is the value of things. So that was kind of a cool, I, yeah, I'll give myself credit for that. That was a cool analysis. <laughs> so is it, what about like, does that also constitute the value of the worker? Like the value of the product that they make? Or am I like totally off base with that? Like within our understanding of capitalism yeah I, I think it's the because the worker becomes objectified as well so their value lies in you know output per hour or whatever kind of unit mm. you want to put it in um yeah I would say like labor theory applies to that too so like I also in one of your other papers you talk about um like the uh, employability like that that also feels related in some way that it's like your value is of like the skills that you possess to to your boss does that make any yeah. connection or sense i think so that was an interesting i don't even i definitely don't remember writing that paper that was one of my freshman year of college papers <laughs> i think i sent you it was a blur yeah well it was definitely one of those ones where like i wrote almost all of it like right before it was due and like submitted it to canvas at like eleven <laughs> fifty nine. so I think a lot of it I kind of you know made up um but employability in the sense that like we have to market ourselves is like all of those stupid like resume and interview buzzwords that you use of like I'm I have great like time management and I'm organized and oh I love mm. detail oriented like what, is what does that, that mean what does that even mean that has I no know. and also even if I wasn't detail oriented I could simply say that I am and make up a scenario in which I'm interviews are all about just making up a situation in which you're detail oriented. Like, I know, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I no, I totally agree with you. Yeah. Um, that's so interesting. And I, I, now that I think about it even more, like, um, like it, 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 I, it makes me wonder like, what, why did you go into, into science rather than like economy? Because like, this seems to be like such a passion of yours. Yeah, um, if I could do anything, I probably wouldn't be in STEM right now. I probably would be, like, just analyzing, like, class history in the United States or something, but <laughs> I can't make money off of that. 
Um, oh, was that? Okay, sure, that makes sense. Well, no, okay. L- l- like a, here, I, here I am, an artist and a podcaster. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm sorry. Your dreams, Amanda. I didn't mean it like that. Um, no, no, no. <laughs> no, but um, yeah, no, I, I, I think about that a lot, too, because I do, like, I mean, derive, like, a lot of enjoyment from, I mean, I definitely wouldn't want to be, like, an economics major, um, because I don't even, I don't even think that they let you talk about Marx in, in the classroom, Oh, so it would be more of, of like, like you would be a theorist. You would be, um, I don't know. I don't know. I, yeah, I don't know what I would, I would, I would be a free spirit. Yeah, I don't know. I would. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'd smell some candles. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Well, that, that's the thing. Like, I don't mind, like, like, spending a lot of my free time, like, again, just reading Das Kapital because I enjoy it. Um yeah but yeah I definitely how did you find it is it your brother or like how no <laughs> when when you're like a when you were like 15 like how how did that come upon you because it's like I I would argue that that's like a pretty big part of your identity yeah like um at least that was like a pretty presumptuous thing for me to say that's no no you're like... I mean you're right <laughs> and I think that that's how a lot of people like not that I think that people in high school think about me that often, but I, I think that I, I think that I left that impression of being like, I was the, I was the first leftist that they ever, that they ever knew. Like I was talking about Bernie Sanders before everyone else. Um, oh yeah. Not to, totally. not that I would ever gatekeep the, the leftist identity. Cause that's, that's a crazy thing that people I knew about Bernie people Sanders. on the internet try to do that. So I don't want to come off as doing that, but yeah, no, it, I, I don't know. I don't, it must have been, I, I hate to say these words out loud, but it must have been a Tumblr thing. It must have been something that I found no way, from Tumblr, really? but like ran with and like was yeah. like, actually, like I'm going to read theory now um, because <laughs> I have, I have like no other explanation to how I, to, to how this happened. Um, I don't come from a, a working class background necessarily. Maybe my, um, my grandparents like fresh on the bo- off the boat from Italy maybe would count, but um, you know, we're from Middletown, which I would argue is uh, not really a, a, a hotbed of of, <laughs> working, of, class. of, of working class or, or leftist identifying people. Oh, no, definitely not. Um, but yeah, I, I, I have to attribute this one to, to good old Tumblr, I think. I have to, I have to pay so her her due. <laughs> yeah, because when I think about it, I can't think of like... I think like um like it wasn't like a we were like in a friend group like it wasn't like a friend group thing that we were all like leftist like I was I was arguably like pretty centrist like moderate in high school mm-hmm. like I'm an army brat it, it just it just took some like going to art school and like learning about the world and like <laughs> understanding things to, to vet that out of me like I think one of my friends from um from college well like friend ish um like you follow on twitter because he's like super leftist oh or super leftist what a fun um abram oh I, I actually know who you're talking about that's so funny yeah, yeah. but i sometimes <laughs> see you like the like their tweets and i'm like wait <laughs> you definitely don't know abram <laughs> no i don't i think that they followed me first and i was like oh you're posting about you know class society i'll give you a follow back that's so funny yeah um (laughs) yeah because i also i agree with you that about like your identity and and how you present that it's like 
Um, I think also currently your Twitter persona is definitely of that of that um, genre or or tone as well. Good. It's always good to know how others perceive me on the internet. That's <laughs> not a bad. Thing. No, no, I'm not being sarcastic. I, you know, you wonder how other people. You know, when you go to your own profile to look at it through the eyes of another. I'm. I'm... Oh, all the time. Yeah. Literally constantly. Um, what was I gonna say? I was. I was just so since since writing that. Like whenever you're given like a like a vague like write about this thing, but write it about through ever lens you want, you tend to be like sweet Marxism, let's fucking go. Um, yeah. Yes. <laughs> I I have enjoyed trying to find ways to just make every paper at least like left leaning in some capacity. Um, yeah. Talking about like imperialism or whatever thing I'm mad about that day, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I guess it's more fun if you're, like, passionate about something to, like, write it. Well, I feel that way. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's how I guess I would spice up whatever um, kind of, like, analysis paper I had to do and just turning it into something that I probably had to do, like, slightly less research on if I already, like, kind of knew how capitalism functioned or whatever I'm writing about. Oh, yeah. It's almost like like uh, use of resources. Like, I don't have to spend as much time learning new things if it's already in my brain. Yeah. Like I can just like, being efficient use resources again. <laughs> just it's just about efficiency. Yeah, because I like I wrote my you know I I would argue it was like my first um like gender theory paper mm-hmm. on Frankenstein, and it was called Frankenstein's Missing Woman, which I'm like wait that's like a pretty great title. Um, <laughs> wait, so you wrote a second Frankenstein paper after no, this? No, that was the only one. Oh oh okay, I thought you were talking about the the high school one. In, in, yeah, in high oh, school. Oh, okay, okay. I'm saying my first gender theory okay, paper. Okay, got it. Oh, you, th- you thought I was talking about, like, a class. Yes. <laughs> um, no, no, like, gender theory mm-hmm. as a concept. Um, like, on Frankenstein, and then I was, like, thinking about it, and I was like, oh, my gosh. I think almost every paper in college, which it's super easy when you go to art school to write every single paper about gender theory because, like, that's all we talk about all day. Mm-hmm. But, like, <laughs> I found myself pretty much writing specifically about feminism and like i this was the first time i learned about womb theory womb mm. theory what am i saying womb envy womb yeah. envy like the you know it's not the non-freudian concept um like the argument against penis envy who who had womb theory i'm gonna look that up really quick uh womb theory i keep saying that because i it's uh, womb envy it was yeah. i feel like i'm gonna know it, it when you say it <laughs> Oh, this is, it was, it's Karen Horney, which, um, oh, just kidding. I remember no. learning that in psych class and remembering it because her last name is the word horny. Right. And Who I could was forget. Like, <laughs> totally. They're, they're horny for her womb. And like, I mean, Frankenstein is like crawling with, with gender stuff. Cause it's like, it's a man who creates another man and like, like so in theory if he is able to create another human being then there's no need for women right and all of the main characters are men and i let me see if i can find the opening yeah um i said the idea that frankenstein this is my first paragraph the idea that frankenstein is a feminist novel could have been derived from the fact that mary shelley's mother mary wollstonecraft wrote one of the first works of feminist philosophy a vindication of the rights of women 
The fact that this novel is male-driven and centered around two men does not suggest an approval of patriarchal society. Instead, it warns of just that. By the end of the novel, most of the central characters are dead, and those that are alive are remorseful and miserable. This is due to the lack of influence of feminine influence on the central men in the novel. <laughs> it's just like I love that I assertion. Just, literally, I'm like, everybody is dead or sad because women aren't there. And I think reading that and I was like that is so bold but it just reminds me of, of your thing of like Mary Shelley seamlessly tied together and like, I think I think we really thought we were going to convince like teachers in high school that like we were like like literary scholars like they were going to be like yeah like wow <laughs> I think when I think though about my high school persona I definitely thought that I was like like really smart I know so- <laughs> oh yeah i mean but we were like a we were like ap lit history kind of kid we 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 fell in with that group of people that we were the smart people that were also cool oh yeah we were like less you forget cool smart people we were (laughs) there was certainly a hierarchy when asked like was i popular in school it's like no but i wasn't like i wasn't like a loser like (laughs) we were like like, alternative popular we were all I mean people knew who we were. Like I did the uh I did the interview for uh I was the interviewer for um uh the Mr. South. We had oh, we had a male beauty pageant at our high school and I was like the Q and A person and like a popular boy like as a bit tried to kiss me on stage. And you don't remember that? I okay, so I mean I lightly participated in that event and I guess I've just blocked it out. What, I, was, what was your participation in the event? My participation is that I got to lead one of the Mr. Southers up the... Who did you get to lead up the thing? My boyfriend at the time. Oh, I Kyle. forgot that he was a contestant. Yeah. We can, I, I can, Jordan, it would be awesome if you could like bleep out names or something. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the contestant that tried to kiss me was... Like, oh my god, oh, you know what? I do remember that now. <laughs> he didn't like actually try to kiss me, but like my boyfriend at the time was super pissed. But, like, yeah, all that is to say that, like, we were cool enough to, like, be part of, like, the popular boy beauty pageant. Like, <laughs> and, um, so, yeah, I think that, like, I thought that I was so, like, that these ideas were, like, absolutely revolutionary and mm-hmm. that, like, no one had ever thought of them and that I was going to impress our teacher and that and then he was going to be like, wow, Jess, like, you're so smart. And, like, it's not that he wasn't. Like, I got, like, a great... I got, like, a B-plus on it or something. He was also, like, a hard-ass with grading in a good way. In a very good way that I was like, I'm going to do better next time for you. (laughs) Um, He was very... I feel like a a lot of my wanting to do better was just to impress him. (laughs) (laughs) That's fine to admit. (laughs) It's okay. I'm an adult now. Um, But all that is to say... Um, when when reflecting on this paper, does it make you miss writing and uh, like learning about humanities? Yes, um, as I, I think I've I've told you offline, um, college didn't provide that many um, instances to really like look at the humanities. Basically, at uh, my alma mater, Stevens Institute, um, a lot of the humanities have like a STEM spin, um, so they'll be like like communication in STEM or or like gender theory in in science and technology which is like cool and is relevant for those of us who attend Stevens and then will be in STEM um but I I did love just like 
reading literature and like doing what I wanted with it and looking at it through like I don't love that like forced upon lens Mm. um so I definitely miss um just kind of reading (laughs) reading or writing to to just do it which I also try to do in my free time but yeah I wish I had better better humanities experiences I, I I've been seeing like a lot more of and it's it's awesome um of like a push and excitement and like just a lot of like t-shirts that are that are the phrase woman in stem women in stem steminist oh, they s- they sold steminist. steminist t-shirts at my college I do not own a steminist t-shirt disclaimer I don't know if I love <laughs> um, that just um as much as I love wordplay I, I just am like oh <laughs> Even even the world wordplay can't get Jess on board. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I don't love that because I mean, I could be annoying and argue that that's a commodification of of introducing women into STEM, but also just from a base point of view, that's cringe. Steminist, <laughs> I don't know. Right, that's what I was um, going to ask you about. That like, if if you felt like the the positive push in the direction of women in STEM is is sort of like like that, um, what you were saying, similar to your your office like sending you a box of cleaning supplies that it's like (laughs) oh we want to say we have more women working so like we're gonna push for women in stem like i don't know there's a lot of like here's my my gender theory brain like chugging away at Mm. like oh i see i see people pushing for a thing i'm gonna try to find a problem in it no but i i think i agree with you because i feel like at least in in my humble opinion like we should be eliminating the barriers to entry for women in STEM, but we shouldn't hold a gun to women's <laughs> head and be like, go into STEM. Like, it's fine for women to want to, pers- like, uh, sometimes sometimes we, we push too much, I think, because if, if at the end of the day women don't want to be in STEM, like, I'm not going to make them go... <laughs> be astronauts or whatever. Just, like, I think we should eliminate barriers where they exist, but, but you know, I we don't have to do too much more than that let 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 things go where they will let let the chips fall where they may i was thinking about that (laughs) and i was um thinking about also like the separation of i I was i've been reading a bit more about like the separation of um of like the genres i don't know the concentrations that it's like why are we separating humanities from stem from from all those things it's it just feels like a weird um like categorization that doesn't necessarily need to happen um, I don't know if you have any like four one one on that or or opinion, like. Well, it it brings to mind a a post that I love that's like we need to stop pitting like the humanities and STEM against each other, <laughs> when our true rival is the business students. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there's definitely like a weird like I don't even know. I guess you could say like. When you're in school, at least, I feel like there's, like, a social hierarchy of, like, I'm in this major and I'm in that major. And it's, like, all of you are 18 and don't even know what you want to do with Well, that's, your, a, that's like, a whole other stupid. point. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a very good point. Like, putting a gun to yeah. people's head when they're 18 and being, like, you have to choose something extremely specific to do with your life. Yeah. But, but like you said, pitting humanities and STEM against each other, it's so, like, I feel like there's a lot of if if you're intelligent you can find like overlap there mm-hmm. and you can find ways to like i don't know like <laughs> analyze like you need you need your you need your humanities skills to be successful in stem and maybe vice versa i don't know that's that's my weak con- conception of <laughs> of these these majors sure yeah 
Yeah, no, I, I think that that's a good point. I just meant to ask because, like, my my last two contestants on this show have been <laughs> arts, like, arts sort of people. Although, I mean, well, that's not true. I, I the the first person I interviewed was a was a uh, student at Princeton who studied like uh, sociology and like anthropology, which like in some ways that could actually be seen as an intersection. Um, yeah. And yeah. then my last person I interviewed was like another acting student. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to interview like a woman in STEM and ask her how she feels about that phrase because I see it everywhere. STEMinism. Jeez. Yeah. I mean, it's just. <sighs> It's just I, I I hate the like hashtagification mm. of, of feminism and of of everything that like we don't need to do like we don't need to do like steminist because then it's like I I feel like we move away from doing anything materially and we're just do we're just doing slogans yeah you know? yeah sure and that's what that's what gets me everything's a buzzword now yeah well I think I think unless there's anything else that you feel that we didn't touch upon. I think that we covered some some meaty material from my we podcast. We certainly today. did. And now I will reread and rewrite this paper in honor <laughs> of this podcast because I have new things to say. <laughs> That's awesome. I look forward to it. Well, thank you so much, Amanda. Thank you so much for coming thank on the you. show. Thank you for having me. had a lot of fun. I'm glad. Have a great rest of your Sunday. You too. This podcast is produced by Hickory Playground, founded by Dylan Tashton, Robert Fuller, and Jordan Maycamp. Jordan is also our audio editor. Compositions are by Lucky Cerruti. Logos designed by Morgan Honeycutt. My assistant in research is John Morgan Stern, and our digital marketing specialist is Simone Elhart. Thank you so much for listening.